Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my messy lessons. <laughs> um, I actually just wanted to come on here to let you know that I am definitely putting this podcast on hold for quite a while as I am starting up a new podcast called Sexuality After. I will be interviewing and having conversations with people on their personal experiences with sex and sexuality after religion, after trauma, after parenthood, and after loss. And so if you uh, want to catch me over there, I'd love to see you over there. <laughs> and the lessons that I'm currently learning, I am sending out to my email list. So if you want to be part of my email list so you can read all of the things that I'm learning, you can head over to my website and sign up there. It's www.phoebed.com. That's P-H-O-E-B-E-D.com. I also have a YouTube channel that's come out recently called Tea with PhoebeD. So you can find me there as well. I have loved this podcast and loved connecting with you and sharing with you. And I'm so grateful that you, for some reason, wanted to listen to my thoughts on things. <laughs> um, so I'd really love to see you on my other platforms. And I wanted to bring you this first podcast of mine of Sexuality After. Um, so you can get a little taste of what it's going to be like and see if you want to go subscribe to it. I hope you enjoy it and please forgive the poor audio quality on my voice especially because I wasn't using this fantastic microphone that I am using now for these podcasts <laughs> and I will be doing that in the future so it should be better. Anyways, lots of love to all of you and I hope you have as always a wonderfully messy week. Welcome to Sexuality After, the place we have real, raw conversations about how sexuality shifts and changes throughout our lives, especially after religion, parenthood, trauma, and loss. I hope by listening to these stories, you're inspired to leave shame behind Embrace your sexuality wherever it is right now and know that you're not alone in the weird and wild experiences we all go through. I am very excited to introduce Liane to you guys as my um, podcast initiate or the person who's helping me initiate my podcast into the world. I would, I wanted to do this with her more than anybody else because her and I went through the course together to become Vita coaches and we worked very closely together and she was so instrumental in my own growth and my own personal journey to embracing my power more than anything else and knowing that I didn't have to people please and um, get really clear on decisions that I couldn't make before I worked with her and we together we really tapped into the beauty of pussy magic <laughs> I would say and the power mm -hmm. of pussy and so I'm just really excited to introduce her to you 
And so if you want to just explain a little bit, a little snapshot of who you are now and your business, and then we'll talk about your story. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I love how you just described our growth journey together. And yeah, I love that we're sort of coming together again now um, after some time after we finished our certifications and just connecting with where we're at. Um, and yeah, so I'm Liane from Liane L Coaching and I'm a women's sexuality and empowerment coach. And that is absolutely my number one passion in the world. And it's the work that I'm obsessed with doing, which is really helping women to connect to their sexuality, to thrive sexually, but also to use that and to access that as a source of power, as you alluded to. And yeah, that's really, I work at the moment, I work mostly one-on-one. Um, and I work primarily with women, but I have also worked with some men. Um, and I, in the context of this podcast, I also really love working with people who have backgrounds in high control religion, as I myself do, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, and I think the center of my work ha- actually did come from our coaching together particularly when I really connected on a much deeper level with my pussy and that really informs the work that I do now with my clients as well. Yes, totally. And you have a beautiful Facebook group for women that have come out of high control religious groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is very powerful and safe. Uh, What's that group called? Um, I've changed the name. It's called the Pleasure Paradigm. Yes, now. Pleasure Paradigm. Yes. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I at first I was only working with um, people from high control religion, but after a while I really realized that I really want to help anyone who wants to access the power of pleasure. So I also work mm-hmm. a lot with business owners and um, coaches, other coaches as well now. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I would love to hear more about your story, about the religion that you grew up in, and if you want to mention um, some of the things that you were taught about sexuality and sex growing up, and the impact that it had on your life, and yeah, just your story. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> this could take the entire podcast, um, <laughs> so I'll try to stick to the the low lights. Um, okay so I was born and raised as a Jehovah's Witness in Cape Town in South Africa and I was third generation Um, my parents were very very active my father was and is um, sort of very high up in the I don't even know what to call it just hierarchy in the the hierarchy (laughs) yes let's call it that Um, and yeah, so I was really like born into that as the oldest child, the first child. And I was the quintessential good girl, just people pleasing my way through life. Uh, God pleasing to like just trying to basically just please everyone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, as to your question about what I was taught about sex, um, 
I now know that the framework that I was sort of indoctrinated under was called purity culture. Um, and it's so similar to what is actually present in a lot of high control religions with good reason. Um, but it really encapsulated, it was like incredibly like heteronormative and shaming of anything, anything outside of sex within marriage between a man and a woman, a cis yeah. man and a cis woman. So really no sex before marriage, like sex is dirty, all of the things. Um, all of the things. Yeah, all of the things, <laughs> all of the things. Like, yeah. I'm like, do I really need to say all of them? You know, you know, well, you know the draw. Yeah, but I mean, the things like um, your sexual value and your value as a person particularly mm -hmm. as a woman diminishes if you start to express yourself sexually outside yeah. of the realm of marriage yeah that is one of them um I, I don't know the one I was taught was like a, a towel like a white towel in a public bathroom or in a bathroom and then everybody uses it to like wipe their hands on and then there's like handprints all over the towel and then who wants to wipe their hands on that oh. towel me being the towel the oh used towel <laughs> i've never yeah. heard that um analogy yeah. before yeah that was that was one that was like in one of the books and my mom taught it to me uh, yeah so that was definitely like that kind of thing like those kinds of analogies i know there's so many but um that kind of thinking also modesty culture a lot of like women need to um protect the men from themselves basically the men can't help it so it's up to us to cover up be modest um all of that and then of course like that leads very much to essentially like rape culture and victim blaming yeah. where if something does happen then it gets put on the woman often Totally. Yeah. Because what she, what yeah. was she wearing mm -hmm. and how was she acting and what was she wearing? Yeah. 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 Um, um, what happened? What happened if stuff happened? Like, I remember my friend mm -hmm. was caught by the ministers having sex with a guy, yes. and they talked to her, and she had to like renew her vow, and she had to, um, mm -hmm. like, she had to be outwardly. Um, repentant, sorrowful, yeah, repentant, repentant, yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, he didn't even get a talking to. Yeah, was your friend Jehovah's Witness or no? Just in the same cult that I grew up in. Okay, okay, yeah. So it really depended on the they were called like the elders. So it really depended on like those particular elders, um, whether how sexist it would be. In my personal experience, um, it was like pretty much the same for men and women. Um, when, like, if both of you had had sex, like, but I think that there's something in inherently like more harmful for a woman to have to sit in front of three men and please explain and have to answer very, very intense personal questions about exactly every single step of what happened. Um, and there's definitely, although I wouldn't say it happened in my case, I've heard many other women say that there was definitely a source of like 
glee and power in the way like essentially they were asking the questions and getting turned on by the answers totally yeah um and this could happen you know from with it from any age so this didn't happen to me personally but it happened to someone very very close to me where even as pretty much like a almost a preteen, like false accusations were made against them and they had to sit with three men and answer questions about things that they didn't even know what the questions meant they were still so innocent. Right. Um, so things like that, like incredibly harmful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the heavier ones is also that this is something I remember being taught from a very young age as a child that if I ever got attacked or raped, someone tried to rape me, I had to scream, even if there was a gun against my head, which in South Africa is very likely um, that you'd have to scream. If you didn't scream, you consented. If you consented, you fornicated, (laughs) you wanted it, and therefore could be kicked out of the church and cut off from your entire community of support. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I remember as a very young girl always, like, running these scenarios through my head and practicing, mentally rehearsing that no matter how scared I was, I would have to scream. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Heavy, heavy stuff. <laughs> totally. And what impact did that have on like your movement into relationships and your marriage mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. your own, how did that impact your own relationship with your body? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Cause there was always like that, all of that and then there was always also just my own sort of relationship slash exploration with my body and I discovered at a very young age that certain things felt really good and sort of in instinctively knowing that that was something wrong or shameful and throughout my life having this battle of what feels good and what my body knows to be good and what I'm being told is good and bad. Um, so there was a lot of shame and a lot of being at war with myself throughout most of my life into my 20s, um, where I was just always trying to fight like the desires of my body, um, even with just re- with regards to like self-pleasure as well. Well, mainly. Um, and then, yeah, it, with regards, can you give an example yes. of what it looks like to be at war with yourself? Um, <sighs> Because like, okay, for me, for example, mm-hmm. yeah, um, it would be like the biggest example that I have of that yeah. is masturbating, yeah, feeling like so guilty and then being like, hey, I'm like never, never I promise, masturbating promise, promise. again. I promise, promise. And I like pray about <laughs> it all the time. Yeah. And like um, every new year is, it would be like, okay, this year I'm not masturbating. <laughs> and then like, it would call to me. <laughs> And I'd be like, that's where it feels so good. And I'd be like, oh, like the crushing guilt and shame about it. The crushing guilt. Mm -hmm. That was, well, yeah. (laughs) For me, like that was mm -hmm. at war with myself. Yeah, that is, that, I just didn't describe it, but that is exactly what I would have said. Um, That constant bargaining with myself and with, with God, as I perceived him to be, and also, I, 
I made like all these excuses in my head and these stories of like, okay, if I'm allowed to have this pleasure with my own body, then that somehow makes me less likely to do it with someone else, which was like even worse. So then I started making these bargains. Like I promise (laughs) I won't ever do it with anyone else. If I can just do it with myself. Right. Um, And so that was part of the bargain. I did not. Yeah, I was so not I that smart. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, because then after that I was, and I held up for a very long time. And like, it was my husband to be, um, but, and I didn't, I never had like penetrative sex before my wedding, but just fooling around. Um, then, then it became, well, now what do I bargain with? Because now I can't even use that. Like, <laughs> so yeah but I think like this it sounds funny now right because we're out of it but at the time it was this deep sense of like there's something so wrong with me something so fundamentally bad inside me um and that I couldn't control it and then wanting so much to be good and doing all these outward things that are good but inside having this also this like very real fear that I was going to die um, in like Jehovah's Witnesses call it Armageddon, but like essentially like an apocalyptic end to the world and really living with that fear because no matter what I did, I basically couldn't like fight the desires of my body yeah. well enough. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes you like very <sighs> sinful. And not close enough to God. And you obviously aren't praying hard enough. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I haven't thought about this in this much depth in a while. Um, But it's like when I start speaking about it, it, it's so real again. I can, I just can remember it so clearly. And then, yeah, to answer your question about marriage, um, I ended up getting married when I was 20. So very young, uh, my husband was 20, also 20. Um, and that is what happens to the vast majority of Jehovah's Witnesses because they just want to yeah. have sex. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so they get married very young. Um, and then then I think this is a, something else I, I often speak about, which is like this, this double bind that purity culture puts you in, where as a woman you have to be pure, virginal, like basically non-sexual completely until the eve of your marriage and then transform into this like vixen sex goddess that can satisfy every whim of your husband's and now it becomes like this duty and you can't say no and it's you also have to be really good at it and it's just impossible it's impossible and yeah the the part that I have like firsthand experience with, and I know so many other women do too, is that that fear that you've carried in your body around sex for so long, and it is an actual fear of death because you're literally told you're going to die if you have sex before marriage. And the constant, for me, it was like an actual physical pushing away. So often like saying no, stopping, bracing, um, always being the one made to be responsible to sort of know where the line is when you're yeah. fooling around and then stopping it. And then on the wedding night, expecting your body to suddenly be relaxed and open. 
Totally. And like when that doesn't happen, you know, then like, is it because we fooled around before and then you start shaming yourself and such a vicious, vicious cycle. <sighs> that's, yeah, that's really heavy because um, then you can start blaming yourself for your body not being relaxed and just like ready to switch on and totally shift all your beliefs about sex now that you're married. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, is this, yeah, like you said, is this a punishment because we had, we fooled around before or mm-hmm. um, always seeing it as a danger and now like, oh, now you can have sex and it's fine. I never mm-hmm. understand how people can teach you that sex is really dirty. And you shouldn't do it. You know, it's bad. Yeah. You should only do something that's really bad and dirty <laughs> with the person you love the most in the world. The most. Right? Because that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So frustrating. And as you said that, I was like, and what about do unto others as you would do to yourself? So like, can you do it to yourself then? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Right. I never thought about that one. Right. <laughs> Mm, yeah and I think a lot of religions actually teach that you shouldn't masturbate um after Mm. you're married either yeah it's I always I always struggled with that as well and then at that point I was like I still felt so guilty about it but I felt a little bit less guilty somehow but it was still completely wrong in their eyes right Mm. um so how did you work through that with your husband or did you, and kind of what's the next trajectory in your life with that? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if we ever worked through that. Uh, I would say probably no. Um, I, I was very uncomfortable speaking about sex. And in hindsight, I think it's because I was stuffing down and repressing my sexuality so much that I actually created this false persona of this very innocent, naive, non-sexual person. Yeah. Even within my my marriage and my friendships, because I was so scared that they were going to see that I was actually like, this, I don't even know what the word is, like sex freak or something. Sex goddess. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I would really not speak about anything sexual to to anyone I would act very quiet um and with my husband at the time we it was like but there was no wanting to bring things to him that I was not had absolutely no way to really speak to him about that so it it ended up being a hot mess um, when I did try to speak to him about it. And yeah, in the end, I would say like the lack of communication around sexuality did become a big problem in our marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when he stopped communicating with or didn't communicate to me that he was having sex with other people. <laughs> that was particularly <laughs> problematic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then yeah I don't know if you want me to like sort of go into the next yeah yeah, phase of what sure. happened or, yeah yeah so then that was sort of we were married for about eight years and around the seventh year um he yeah he had like a few affairs um and they were 
yeah, obviously terrible, heartbreaking, and also very, very shocking, like out of nowhere mm. um, to me at least. And um, yeah, that really, I would say the first affair sort of turned me closer to my religion and I, I relied on that even more. Um, I immediately moved out of our home, moved in with a friend and all of that. But I really, I clung on to the religion at that point as something to help me make sense of what was happening. Yeah. And then sort of in very quick succession when he had a second affair, um, that was when I reached my own sort of breaking point and needed some space from the church. Do you remember that moment or what it was that, like, what was it about the second affair that made you leave instead of cling harder? Like, what was the difference? Mm -hmm. So the second affair was firstly with someone in the church, um, whereas the first one wasn't. Mm -hmm. So that was, like, doubly hurtful. and sort of jarring that this would be two people within this faith community right. that I'm part of. Yeah. And also it also happened to be the friend I had moved in with during this time. And I forgot so that was that. yes, that special detail. Um so the person that I like turned to in my hour of need, who then yeah. Oh my God. Um <laughs> and then I think the moment, like I have a very clear moment in my head where I was still going to church in the first few weeks after all of that. And um, they were both there and I was having to take like medication to calm myself down, to go to church. And I just remember like being in my car, popping like some Xanax or something and just to go to church. Like I need to take medicine to be calm enough to go to church. And then I think in that moment I was just like, this is too much. Um, I just need a break at that point. I just, I just felt I just needed a break from everyone, from everything. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) 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 And so from there, um, kind of how did you heal from that and where did your sexuality go from there? Yeah. Um, or your relationship with yourself as well. Like, mm-hmm. It was really interesting because that was the first time in my life that I then at 28, I think, had to move in by myself somewhere to live by myself. Um, I had gone straight from like my father's home to my husband's home. Totally. And now I was going sort of on my own. Um, and... It was really a fr- like a fresh start is the nice way of saying it, but I mean it was like a like a devastating loss of everything that I'd known up until that point, and a few things happened. But during that time of me sort of taking a break, um, I'm trying to remember what, like what came first. A few different things happened, but I essentially like I think at that point I was like, well now I'm going to have sex. I'm going to have fun. So I had, I started experimenting sexually um, more than I ever had before. And one of the biggest things that actually I think really 
shifted the direction of my life was I also needed to find a new job. And I started working at a, a sex toy company. Um, it's like the, the bus, it's like the business manager for a sex toy company. And that was, I think like that was basically the, the thing that changed everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was, when I got the opportunity, I was still, I was still Jehovah's Witness. Um, but I was sort of on my break, but I was still officially in and I, I was like, no, it's just business. It's just business. It's okay. Yeah. Like they can sell what they want to sell, but like it's totally. just business. But then when I started doing it, it was absolutely, it was like the deepest dive into all things, sex positivity, pleasure, specifically female pleasure, like being exposed to like different kinds of pleasure and pleasure outside of like heteronormative con like concepts. So like just everything. Yeah. And I met incredible people who became such good friends and supports to me and also just mentors I guess as well and that was really where I started like I always say like it's not like you your sexuality isn't something that you get from something somewhere outside of you um yeah. it's like you uncover it totally and yeah, that was when I really was able to just let go of a lot of what had been holding me back um, and to just start expressing and enjoying my own sexuality with a lot less shame. Yeah. Okay. I have two questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to know what was one of the first, do you remember one of the first beliefs um, from working at that store uh, or for that company and being around sex positive people, one of the first beliefs that like really stood out to you as, oh, this is different and this makes sense and this is good. Mm, that's such a good question. Let me think about it. Mm. So, Maybe, I don't know that I thought at the time, like, this is good, but it was one of the most sort of confronting experiences and also liberating experiences within my first few weeks of working there. Um, it was a startup company. I had to arrange a photo shoot for all these beautiful, high-end, gorgeous sex toys. And we ended up doing this photo shoot in, the, in like, a in a forest in Cape Town mm -hmm. and we had lots of models and but most of them just actually real people not actual models volunteering to be the models and we did like they were nude shots all of the shots were nude either like topless or like from the back and like we actually took some full frontal ones as well but we couldn't use them but there I was on like a weekday afternoon in the forest <laughs> organizing like styling <laughs> And whatever, well, there wasn't much styling because they weren't clothes, but like flowers and things like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like managing all of this. And we'd been worried that we wouldn't have had, there weren't going to be enough models. Um, so when, before that, when everyone had been, all the models had their hair and makeup done, uh, I had been like, they were like, you know, you need to be one of the backup models. And I, I was like, they, but they were like, not for like full front or just like, your face or like a silhouette or something. And I said no, but, or like, I didn't say no. I was just like, oh, okay, if I have to. But so I had my makeup done and 
there we were in the forest, but we had more than enough models. Everything was was fine. And then they just, right at the end of the photo shoot, the photographer said to me, like, I'd really love to take some photos of you as well. And that was so, <laughs> so out there for me. And I ended up just being in, like, some underwear, but topless. And at first, like, covering my breasts with um, flowers, but, like, lying in this field. And then eventually like getting up and sort of <laughs> one nipple peeking out and then taking these photos. And I think in that moment, I was just like, this is fine. This is beautiful. This is actually amazing. Um, mm. And just seeing how calm everyone else was and it wasn't like this sexualized thing. It was just yeah. human bodies being beautiful in nature. Um, yeah, I think that was probably one of the first moments that really stands out to me yeah that's amazing thanks for sharing that story (laughs) um I think that's a huge a huge tool or process of deconditioning that's helped me throughout my deconditioning my sexuality specifically is (laughs) being in those situations or putting myself in situations Mm. like that and seeing oh this is safe. Like mm-hmm. nothing's happening mm-hmm. here. There's oodles of consent. There's lots of respect. It's not a big deal. And nothing, like I'm not being swallowed into hell. I'm not being struck by lightning. <laughs> <The> lightning. <laughs> like mm-hmm. everything I've been taught isn't actually happening. Mm-hmm. It's actually yeah. maybe normal and beautiful. Yeah. And fun, and everyone's <laughs> yeah. actually really happy and relaxed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that from the the first time I went to a kink dungeon, because that was yes. like the the biggest like sex positive place in Calgary that I mm-hmm. knew of, and I mm-hmm. had been listening to sex positive stories, and I was like, I want to find a community like that in Calgary. And so I went, and it was a similar thing. Like, wow, this. Like all this stuff is happening, kinky stuff, not actually a lot of sex is mm-hmm. happening, to be honest, but mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of naked, a lot of kink yes. stuff. And it yeah. was fine. Not only yeah. fine, but it was celebrated. Yeah. And it was like yeah. expected. Like like it, everybody mm-hmm. expected that everybody else would be kinky in some weird and wonderful way. And mm-hmm. that was a big moment for me. Yeah, when you asked me that question, I also thought about my first time going to like a kink party, um, which was in that time. Um, and yeah, I, I actually put book, I focused so much on like one of the first, and then I remembered the photo shoot. But I 100% agree with you, like putting yourself in those environments and just seeing like it's all okay. And yeah, also, there's so much more. I think what stands out to me from those experiences I've had is that there's so much welcoming of like just you as you are um, where in the other communities that I was part of it was so much like change yourself be yes, control totally. yourself like do not be yourself um, and seeing that contrast <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah yeah seeing that contrast and just being like, it's literally like, come as you are. 
and then also come come um, as you are <laughs> come as you are like literally um i think like that's just so that was just so different for me and then to feel safe as well like shame free safe and just accepted as you are that was yeah. mind blowing to me yes that was a huge thing for me as well um starting with just listening to stories on podcasts um risk is one of my favorites or body storytelling they um mm-hmm. they often have sexual stories and then actually seeing it in real life was pretty mind-blowing mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Um, my other question from the previous kind of story mm-hmm. was what was it like when you had sex with somebody else other than your husband for the first time mm-hmm. like how did that feel to you yeah, it's really funny because the first person that I had sex with after my husband was actually my boyfriend from before my husband. So like I completely regressed and rebounded to like 15 year old. Sure, makes sense. And I, yeah, I think it was like, I was like, okay, well, that's someone I know and trust and never got to have sex with. Um, and so it felt safe. Like it felt safer than a stranger to me at that point. Um, and yeah, it was amazing. Like I just, I think there's like an aspect of also like, Oh yeah. Like it's absolutely fine. Like nothing bad is happening (laughs) again. Like it's that, that feeling of just like, you keep waiting for the other shoe to drop and then you just realize like, it's never going to happen and you can just have fun. Mm. Yeah, so I think like, and then as I kept exploring more and more wildly and freely, uh, I just, I just realized like, it was all fine. As long as there was consent, it was all fine. Yeah. I didn't jump so far into the deep end. Well, my story is different, but I Mm -hmm. started exploring the safety of outside of what I'd been taught by like clothing like mm. oh I'm gonna wear a shirt with no sleeves <laughs> oh. oh my skirt's gonna be above my knees that's like wow nothing's <laughs> happening I still like it's only been a couple of years that I've worn shorts too like the jump to shorts was really hard for me um, okay. and again I was like oh my shorts it's like oh my god nobody's even noticing like nobody yeah. paid, like too like nobody even noticed mm-hmm. that I was wearing shorts it was like yeah. this huge deal for me yep. anyways so yeah I remember that feeling of like going home with someone and just thinking like everyone's watching me it's <laughs> not and like no nobody even noticed like nobody cares nobody yeah. notices <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah well yeah. cool. okay so <laughs> tell me about kind of your internal the internal shifts that happened and like how did that impact things like your confidence and your happiness and um anything else along those lines like once you started to explore and realize that your sexuality was safe Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting because so much of what I believed and about the religion and their concept of 
life. Um, fell away, it, not instantly, but once it started, it fell away very quickly. And in a way, it was almost like the house of cards that just collapsed on itself when I finally looked. And because of that, it very quickly took away so much of what I had been afraid of. I'd already been sort of, I had been having sex and experimenting on the side, but I was always under the idea of like, well, I'm still doing something wrong. Like nothing bad's happened, but it's still wrong. wrong and I'm going to go back to the church um, eventually, soon. <laughs> um, but any then, day now. <laughs> any day now, <laughs> except now I have a boyfriend and I don't know <laughs> what to do about that. <laughs> um, and then, and then, I mean, thankfully, I I did some research when I was finally brave enough to look. And when when all of that sort of fell down, mm. it really was very liberating because I just realized that I didn't have to believe in anything they said, including everything about sex. And I'd already had mm. my own lived experiences up to that point that were basically all fine and great. And the only thing holding me back was them saying that it was still wrong. And when that fell away, then um, I think I just embraced completely. Um, and yeah, so I think the internal shift was just, it was just like the shame around it just really melted away pretty quickly. Like there were still some remnants, but I just, it was like a sigh of relief. Like, Oh, I can actually trust what my body has been telling me all along. Um, and so yeah, that of course, like led to just more confidence and um, just freedom, and just in, in all areas. Actually, I think learning to then be like trusting my body. Like, if my body says like this feels good, or my intuition tells me this is the right next step, actually trusting that, um, as opposed to what I was told, which was like never trust your heart. Yeah. Or your intuition. That is such a huge message that we get in religion. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning <laughs> how to trust myself. But um yeah. Yeah, because it's not just in religion, right? It's also like everywhere else. Um <laughs> <laughs> so it's like life after religion or sexuality after religion but still within like the patriarchy and like the society, society at large yeah exactly exactly so it doesn't just disappear overnight totally yeah absolutely cool um and how long after the house of cards came down did you take our course? I think that was about two years. Oh yeah. Two years. Yeah, it was about two years later that I started the sex, love and relationship certification. Um, and yeah, in between that, I've been, I'd actually been diagnosed with PTSD from the severe and overwhelming loss of everything um, that happened at the time because I was shunned and all of that by my family and everything. So, so you lost yeah, was, like 
your husband and your home mm-hmm. and your belonging. Yeah. Um, and, and my business that I just started. Uh, my and family, your community. My community. Security. My cats. Your cats. Even <laughs> <laughs> my cats. Yeah. I, I moved out and, and they were very happy where they were. So I... It would have been selfish of me to take them, but that one was almost the worst. <laughs> yeah, it was literally everything. And it was pretty much everything all at once within yeah. a matter of hours and then a matter of weeks. Yeah. It was pretty much everything. Um, so, and also my entire belief system as well. <laughs> like the entire way that I saw the world. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was diagnosed with PTSD and I actually um within that same time frame I also decided to move abroad by myself um which is when I moved to Southeast Asia to Vietnam I knew I wanted to change my career um I loved the joy the job at the sex toy company but I was burning out so I decided I wanted something new um I wanted to travel more so I'm I moved to to Vietnam and then actually once I got here and I had no longer had all the sex and parties and friends that I had created in this world that I had in Cape Town um, to distract me from some of the deeper pain. Um, I really, that's when it actually got quite, you know, dark or depressing or um and yeah and I found I was really really fortunate to find an amazing trauma therapist in my city here who spoke English um and yeah it was then through the healing that I did like the body-based somatic trauma healing that I experienced and that changed my life like completely um basically brought me back to life that was when I was, I decided, well, this is what I want to do as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak a little bit more, only if you feel comfortable doing so, you definitely don't need to, um, about some of that deeper pain, like what it was? Yeah. Um, I had a lot of, like, the symptoms of the PTSD that I experienced were a lot of, uh, like, looping I don't know, I can't remember what the exact term is, but like looping thoughts where you just can't stop thinking about something like rumination, but to an extreme. Um, and they were like, they were like ruminations on flashbacks of some of the things that had happened. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the big things I really struggled with as well as a lot of nightmares, which were like, you know, terrible nightmares. Um, and yeah. so obviously leading to like not getting a lot of sleep and things like that. And just not being able to get stuck or get out of these looping thoughts that I was stuck in. Um, And it was like having the worst moments of your life on replay in your head all the time and never being able to stop them. Um, And then when you go to sleep again and just being so exhausted and, and thinking, to myself you know all these people don't even think about you anymore like they don't even care about you and you're like still in so much pain um and yeah it definitely got to there was one night where it got to the point where um I've never been suicidal um 
and I but I got to that point where I was like I can see why some people would see that as an out and when I had that thought alone in my little bedroom in Vietnam I was like I realized like okay you need to get help like this is you can't go down that line of thinking yeah um, and that's actually when I googled and found a trauma therapist and emailed her at like 4 a.m in the morning um and yeah that that really really helped yeah mm-hmm. it's interesting the those moments they really mm-hmm. define our life hey really the do. moment where we just say this is ridiculous I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some PTSD as well. Um, and mm-hmm. I also had really bad nightmares, like Armageddon, violent, okay. horrible nightmares. Yeah. And I had um, four nightmares, two nights in a row. So like four nightmares one night, four nightmares the next night. Oh. I was like, that's it. Like, I can't. Like I would have nightmares every night, but almost every night, but usually like one. One. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, I was like, I can't do this. Like something is going on. Mm -hmm. And same thing. Like (laughs) in the middle of the night, I was like, um, PTSD or trauma or whatever, some kind of therapist. I never knew that. I never knew that about you, that you also had that like middle of the night reaching out for help. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. You do it. Like you just get to that point where it's like, I don't fucking care what time it is. Like, <laughs> yeah. I need help. I don't care now, if they see what I time can. I said this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's those yeah. deep. Some stuff just gets stuck so deeply and we just need help and mm-hmm. guidance to get out of it. Yeah. And I think also to be like shown the way out because yeah. when I reached that point, I've been having um, traditional talk therapy for a few months and I'd been diagnosed with PTSD and I was sitting there every week talking about and telling the same stories that I was already thinking about all the time and just talking, talking, talking. And like it got to a point where like, I was just like, I'm so tired of telling the story, but at the same time, it's like all I think about, but I'm also getting no relief from telling it again. Um, And that, yeah, like that is why I think, to what you said like it's to get the help but also to get the right kind of help for where you're at Um, and for me at that point I didn't know it but like a somatic based trauma therapy was what I needed because I didn't know that like trauma lives in your body and it's a cycle that needs to complete yep and that's why you keep looping in it until it's done and that there are ways to complete the cycle and then it is like your totally. brain and you're like, oh, great, that's complete now. We don't have to think about this anymore. I know. I had the and, same experience. Yeah. yeah. It's like that moment when I realized that. Like, that was, yeah, life-changing actually. Yeah. I remember yeah. Um, the, some, the therapist that I went to see wasn't, she didn't work with trauma the way you and I work with trauma in quite uh-huh. the same way. 
but it was mm-hmm. similar. Like she had me like mm-hmm. push against her and like push against yeah. a pillow and yell like, no, mm-hmm. no. And just like get really mm-hmm. like get into that part of me and use my body to like physically push mm-hmm. away and kind of complete what I wish I could have done um, in the moment that caused me trauma. And it was like, and then I like boxed. I was like punching a boxing bag for weeks after that, almost on a daily basis mm-hmm. with the same kind of um, wanting to get the trauma out of my body. And, and like we were, you know, you were saying complete the cycle and I did it. Like within a few weeks, I was hardly having any nightmares. Yeah. That's, that's so amazing. Yeah. Um, so before I got this help, but right in the like immediate aftermath of everything that happened. I had this recurring nightmare every single night um, about like a conversation that I was trying to have with um, one of the people who'd been involved in everything. Um, Someone I was very, very angry at, but never got a chance to even see again and never could express anything. And in the dream, I was trying to hit them, right? Like, trying to hit them it's like that dream where it's like you're trying to run and you can't run you're trying to Mm -hmm. scream and you can't scream and I was trying to hit them and I could not hit them and every single night I had this dream and one night I woke up and I woke up because I had basically turned over and punched the wooden headboard of my bed (laughs) (laughs) to the point where like I woke up like ow and had to like go get an ice pack for my knuckles but I finally got to like do the thing that I needed to do. And I never had that nightmare again. Yes. No, like, really? It was insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was, that for me was, and that was before I knew anything about somatics oh. or body or anything. So that was like right at the beginning of the journey. And then when I, uh, the first day I went to the trauma therapist and she gave me this little book, which as soon as I got home and read it, I literally started crying. Um, it's called Trauma is Really Strange and it's a graphic novel or well, not a novel. It's like a graphic what? little book. Um, yeah. I, you can like find it on the internet. Okay. Trauma is um, really strange. Yeah. And it's got, okay. little, it's like little cartoons and descriptions, but it's like really well researched and backed by science and all of that. And she gave me this book and she was like, like, okay, go read this at home. And then after our first session and I got home and I started reading and I read it in like an hour and I just cried and cried because I finally understood what was wrong with me or what was happening to me um, in a way that I'd never, nobody had it, like including my therapist had never explained to me why this was happening. And also it, it basically said it gave hope as well. Like this will end. Um, and yeah, I, that book is like, that was like probably the book that just like in one moment changed my life. When I just oh, read yeah. that, I finally felt like, okay, like somebody knows why this is happening and there's a way to get better. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> I am definitely going to buy that book. It sounds amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really amazing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So what are some of, would you say, are your in some internal resources that you've found that have helped you along the way? 
Could you give me an example of one that you would say for yourself? Because I have an idea of what I think you mean, but I would love to know. Um, okay, I'll give you a couple of different examples. One is my curiosity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. My curiosity has led me to where I am, and I am so grateful for it. Like okay. once, okay. once things started unraveling with like the cult that I was in, I couldn't mm-hmm. stop unraveling because mm-hmm. I'm too curious and too, like I want to find answers. Um, mm-hmm. And then another, another one of my internal resources um, I would say my 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 commitment to authenticity because I value authenticity over pain so I'm willing to suffer or be afraid or do things I really don't want to do like challenge the beliefs that my life was based on in order to know who I am and be authentic yeah like know that what I am I don't know like just be solid Mm. within myself you know yeah yeah thank you for sharing that yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so the first one I know I would definitely say is my intuition Mm. um that was probably how you said like your curiosity was the thing that kept you sort of unraveling. I think for me, intuition was, it was like this voice that I just couldn't ignore. And it's hard to even explain how it shows up always. But there are these pivotal moments in my life where I just knew like I would feel the desire for something. And then I would have that intuitive knowing that like that is the right next step. And so for me, I think I would say like, I wouldn't be where I'm, where I'm now without listening to that inner guidance. Yeah. Um, so that would definitely be one. And then the other one I think is like an internal, but it's also external resource. Uh, but it, it's like, I would just say like pleasure really. So like my body's capacity to feel pleasure, my capacity to feel internal states of pleasure as well like through the sensations that I feel like internally and externally um I would probably say that now in hindsight knowing what I know now I can look back and see that I didn't necessarily know that at the time um but I think just seeking like what feels good and allowing that to soothe me um through difficult times has been really like it's been like the thing that allowed me to kind of keep going like pain pleasure pain pleasure like it's just yeah it's like the like the the ointment that you put on the wounds or whatever and like and then later it just becomes like a fuel where they don't even like the wounds don't even need to be there like you can just use feeling good to keep propelling you forward totally yeah I feel like that's a superpower of you guys Okay. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> well, um, not a lot of people can access pleasure like that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Or um, I shouldn't say they can't. They just have, they don't know to do that or how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you posted about that, like really recently, you posted mm-hmm. um, something like, when you're in the middle of pain and suffering, can you soothe yourself with pleasure or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just <laughs> like last week or something. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, I think I did intuitively use pleasure as well, but not consciously until, you know, the last year mm-hmm. or so. And now if I am suffering in some way, I can look for pleasure or give myself pleasure whether sexual pleasure or otherwise yeah and um yeah use it to comfort or soothe or Mm -hmm. just remind myself that oh yeah there's this whole other part of life that's joy and bliss and and pleasure yeah as well as you know difficult things yeah yeah and I think like often when I say pleasure people think I mean just sexual pleasure and I really don't um and I think that's like part of the the like mindfuck of these kinds of religions as well as like sensuality, pleasure. It's all put into this like terrible box oh, of like those are like the devil's toys and yeah. you can't play with them. <laughs> and so I I think like even in that, like I am also hmm. I just remembered something else I wanted to say about the resources. Yeah. I like the rebel in me that is definitely a massive resource like the rebel in me is the the one that is like no like whatever you've told me I can't do like now that I know that that was all made up like I'm I'm like never gonna listen again and I'm almost gonna like yeah I'm just gonna rebel and take back my freedom everywhere that I can so to me pleasure every kind of pleasure is something that was always like uh villainized vilified vilified and so yeah for me like that's part of my reclamation and part of like accessing and like living out that rebel in me that like desires freedom is to just like take it back from every place that it's been taken from me (laughs) yes our inner rebels are huge resources I cannot agree with you more I call it my inner badass. Same kind of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. She wears yeah. leather and spikes. Ooh. <laughs> <That's hot. laughs> She's hot. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's the, that, I think that like, that's, that's what drives me a lot now. Um, and I, I like to think that one day maybe I'll be just peaceful. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> But right now it's like that, that rebel is like this fire in my soul. And I just don't like everywhere where I see people telling people to do things in a certain way or like follow these rules for no reason. Um, I just, I just can't like let it pass. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Given your upbringing with all rules. All the rules. All the rules. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So now the rebel is like the antithesis of the good girl that I once tried to be. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, what's one myth about sexuality or sex that you want to debunk? Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Probably just the one that like, like I'm broken or there's something wrong with me. Um, like, why do I look this way? Why do I feel this way? Why don't I feel that way? Like, she's talking about pleasure. I never feel pleasure or like, you know, whatever it may be like this, this belief that like we think is so unique to us, but it's actually like so many people feel that way. Like we all think like, I must be broken. Like I used to think that right about masturbating. Like I must be broken. Um, Or why does my pussy look this way? It doesn't look like a porn star's pussy or whatever it may be. Like, why do I not have desire for my partner or whatever? Why do I like to watch this kind of porn? Um, And just this idea that like fundamentally, like you're definitely not broken. Like, I I mean, I would probably say other than like, other than like a pedophile, like other than that, like you're not broken. Like nothing about your sexuality is broken or abnormal. Like you can, you can uncover it. You can heal it. You can figure out like what's going on, but it's not broken. Um, I would say even for pedophiles, I don't know that I totally agree <laughs> with that. It, that's a mm-hmm. difficult one for me. I can't, mm-hmm. I don't really know how to maneuver that, but it's certainly like, it's not like the majority of people have those sexual desires, but it's not like yeah. one person in the world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a thing. Yeah. And I think that the overt amount of shame that we lump on it mm-hmm. doesn't help the situation either. And mm-hmm. we lump everybody that has those desires in with the people that act on those desires, which I think are two yes. different things, vastly different worlds. Uh-huh. And like shame just doesn't, it doesn't help. <laughs> it's not useful I, like to me like I so I so hear you um like I've always thought like and as I've started to learn about shame like shame is like the only emotion that's like truly unhelpful um like it's just not good for anything um I like and then more recently I've started playing with the idea that like maybe the the, the, the light side of shame is that it illuminates like where there's more room for us to like love ourselves or accept ourselves. Like if you're feeling shame about something about yourself, then, and it's different from guilt. Like I'm not referring to guilt. I'm referring specifically to shame or it's like something bad or broken about me. Um, Like the only, the only purpose I've been able to see to shame is that it like illuminates where there are gaps in self-acceptance or love or, things like that yeah um I think shame is our it can be like complicated (laughs) I've thought a lot about it as I'm sure I know you Uh have too Uh definitely our internal belonging police it's like yes it's our internal tool to make sure Mm -hmm. that we belong in this in Mm -hmm. the society that we're raised in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that we're not booted out. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I really love that you chose this for the myth that you want to debunk is that I'm broken. I feel like almost everybody feels like they're sexually broken in some way or there's something mm-hmm. wrong with them or weird about them. Mm-hmm. Like there's always a, there's always reasons for why we are the way we are. <laughs> and um, I don't know, have you ever read, have you read Existential Kink yet? Yes, I, I love it. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of talks about that. Um, but we are all wild and wonderful creatures and our sexuality is like where our shadows dwell <laughs> because mm-hmm. like we, we don't talk about play. it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like the way she explains that like, you want to like have the full range of human experiences, like that is like, I mean, she explains it very well. Yeah. And I definitely can't <laughs> articulate it as well. But the, yeah. this idea that like, that you are driven to have the full range of human experiences and you yeah. want to experience the light and the shadow and the good and the bad. And even though I don't like those terms, but yeah. 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 There's that idea. And I think like in sexuality, it is where it often comes out a lot. And then the then the internal shame police come on board, and they're like, "You can't like that. What will society say?" Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I when I like go one step back to the whole like, I I almost always in my head qualify like when I said like, "You're not broken, except for pedophiles." It's like because I always anticipate people saying like. What about pedophiles? <laughs> in my head, I just say that. I'm like, your desires are good. What about pedophiles? You know, like anything you say that's like affirming to sexuality and desire, people always take it to that point. Yeah. So I feel like I have this like internal voice that just like already adds that. Like, um, and I still agree with you that I think it's really not that simple. I, I really yeah. agree with you. Like, it's not that simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and saying that, like, <laughs> like I was going to say, just saying that your desires are normal or um, that there's, that, that shame isn't helpful does also doesn't mean that we need to act on every sexual desire that we have. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's an element of um like self-responsibility and choice that can come even more easily and more clearly when we are not clouded by shame yes yeah that's really beautiful Mm -hmm. and and I think the biggest thing is that when we aren't clouded with shame we can actually look at and face our desires and these like fantasies that we have and we can be like, why do I like tentacle porn? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> why do yeah. I like furry porn? Like, yeah. what is it about that? How about do I that. feel when I watch it? How do I like feeling about it? And, and like, we can actually explore mm-hmm. it with curiosity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. get to a deeper understanding of ourselves and what drives those desires like we can't do that when we're in shame 
no shame just shuts you down like yeah. you literally like retract and, and collapse in on yourself and yeah I, lo- I love how you just explained that um how people like we might think that the shame is the thing that's holding us back from acting out these desires but that's not it that's the thing that's actually holding us back from understanding yeah. why we have those desires in the first place yeah I mean so if it's not shame that stops you from acting out those desires what is it yeah yeah that's a really good question just like your internal I knowing I think about or... this a lot yeah. yeah that's what I come back to that's what I come back to a lot um like I've been working with this idea of like on the one hand we have what I call just to simplify it, like the patriarchy, but really you can take that as like society, conditioning, religion, the rules, the rules on the side. And then there's like desire and just like what you want, fantasy, desire, whatever, which I call like pussy, right? Like being led by pussy, like on the other end. And so to me, like those two are like on opposite ends and you don't really want to be led by either one of those only, which might be surprising because I talk about like pussy all the time, but I think in the middle of those two is like like presence or like deeper knowing that like you refer to. And I think that the only thing I can say with like confidence about this is that the like rules and conditioning have pulled us so far to one side that you almost need like an equal and an opposite force pulling us to the other side Mm -hmm. so either even if most of the time you default to if you can build the trust to trust yourself and to trust your desires and to Mm -hmm. trust your intuition it's anyway only going to pull you back to like around the middle it's not going to pull you all the way there like where you end up in this like hedonistic spiral where nothing stops you and you're just like one of my clients told me yesterday like it like in a sex cult and you just like abandon your children and you're just like having orgasms all day (laughs) like like yeah like yeah like and I think that's like the fear a lot of people like but if I just give in to my desires like where will this end um and so to me there's like we are so conditioned to lean to the one side that we need a very strong push from the other side to even get us to the middle. Totally. Um, Yeah. And I think that middle is like presence and intuition and like deeper knowing. Um, Yeah. That's what it is for me anyway, at this point. Because neither one of those two is centered or embodied Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like they're both kind of escapes Mm -hmm. like one is an escape into control and one is an escape into not being in control yeah instead of there being the center where you find a balance yeah yeah so that's it's like an idea I've been playing with because I think this does come up a lot like and I do push for 
desire and intuition and pleasure and pussy. I like, I push for that a lot, but it's because the way I see it, I'm like pushing against a very strong, like counter force. Totally. And it's like, yeah, it's just never, if you even want to come a little bit out of that, you have to like, <laughs> move towards the other side very strongly. <laughs> and you're still like, you're still, I mean, it's very unlikely that you're going to end up in like some hedonistic <laughs> sex fest. Well, but, I mean, it's learning to fun. trust yourself <laughs> along the way. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A sex fest does sound fun. Um, as long as it doesn't take over your life like anything else right. like anything right. take over your life it's like yes um I was talking to my partner the other day about I really believe that any quality or emotion can become toxic if it's taken to the extreme mm-hmm. yeah. like if it's taken um, like, yeah, I don't know. I'm still working on that theory. <laughs> so but. I had actually had, yeah, yeah. I had an, a new idea about this yesterday, actually. Okay, sure. And <laughs> I'd just like to share it. And then, yeah, this, so the way that you and I have come to understand emotions and like they're they're like a cycle right it's energy Mm -hmm. and it sort of has a peak and if you stay present with it it completes so a lot of people are very afraid of going into their rage or their grief because what if they get lost and they never come out totally but i i certainly have a lot of faith and because of my lived experience with this and seeing other people do it that if you just go in and you stay present so like you were saying with the boxing right to like let out that anger and that rage and you stay present with it it reaches a natural like peak and point of conclusion and then you can feel the completion of it within yourself like that itch has been scratched like that cycle has been completed and it's the same with pleasure Whereas like, but the the key thing is the presence. If you don't actually stay in your body and you don't stay present with what is happening moment to moment, that's when it can go too far because then you actually don't get that sense of satisfaction because you're like, I've had this million times, like where I'm like, just like eating the whole tub of ice cream and like, I'm not even tasting anything anymore. I'm so far from present. So I just keep having more and more and more. But if I'd actually like slow down and actually notice what I was doing, I would probably not have needed to go as far. Yep. And I like, and it's like with emotions, how they can, how we can re-traumatize ourselves or we can like blow out our nervous system if we just like start expressing the emotion, but we don't actually have that sense of like being grounded. Stay present. Stay present. Um, and so that's something that I'm playing around at the moment with, with pleasure as well. This idea of like the presence being the thing that grounds you and stops you from going too far. Yeah. 
That was beautifully said. (laughs) (laughs) And wonderfully explained. That was great. I love it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm still working on it. But these are the questions that you and I sit with all day. Love to think about. Seriously. We could talk for like five hours about this. Um, Okay. So as let's wrap it up because it's um, about Mm -hmm. time. I am still working on what my signature question is going to be for the podcast. But I think um, let's try this one out today and we'll see if it ends up being my long-term signature question. (laughs) Um, What would you... What one thing would you say to your teenage self about sex and sexuality? Oh, <laughs> I feel emotional. <laughs> um, hmm. <laughs> um I think I would actually just say like don't worry so much about this like it just like I wish I could just tell her like don't worry so much about this and it's gonna get so much better mm. I think that's really beyond like you're not bad you're not broken like actually to just give her some hope that it's going to be better one day and one day she's going to be free. Like that would be it. Yeah. I wish I could tell her I can. I felt like I felt like it just told her. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. You know, when, when I do that, when I kind of speak to my past self, like my inner child or my inner teenager or whatever, I think about what is my, I think about like when I was that age, I mean, I, I know, like, I don't know everything. So let's just, let's just go with it. Cause I don't know that this isn't the case, but I think about my energy now kind of like traveling back in time Mm -hmm. and just like surrounding her for a few minutes and speaking life and hope into her and maybe at that age I had a moment where I was like you know I don't think it's gonna be like this forever you know and maybe it's like Mm -hmm. that moment like maybe you were feeling Mm -hmm. this energy then you know yeah that makes me think about in 20 years what am I gonna want to speak into myself now wow and is that partly sustaining me now and driving me now Mm. That makes sense. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's like if time is all like relative and everything yep. is happening at the same <laughs> moment. <laughs> um, my partner loves to watch The Flash, which is like yeah. a time travel yeah. show. So it's always in the background. Um, and they talk about this a lot. And yeah. I um yeah, I know what you mean. Like, is that little glimpse of like it's gonna be okay, like it's gonna get better, is that I'm feeling that right now or is that actually like a future version of me giving me that yeah inspiration in this moment Mm -hmm. yeah um I remember hearing I don't know 
I think it was Jordan Peterson, or maybe he was quoting Young or something. I don't know, but mm-hmm. he was talking about how we, like, I am a community within myself. So there's me now, but there's like me 10 minutes ago and there's me in 10 minutes and there's me Mm -hmm. in a month and there's me in a year and there's me in 20 years. And if I'm making a decision that's best for me, it needs to include like my whole community of me's. Like the decisions that I'm making now, is it the best for me just right now? Or is it also the best decision for me a month from now, a year from now, 20 years from now? And I think about that sometimes in kind of the opposite way is that the whole community of me's can support me in this moment too. Like my future self and my past self Mm. can support me in doing what I'm doing now. Mm. Wow. I really love that. Yeah. And I think like that, as you said that, like in this moment, if I make this decision, is that good for like all the future me's as well? That just sounded like such a, particularly the way you said it, sounded like such a grounding question to when it comes to following desire and following intuition and following what you want, using something like that, that question like that to like ground you into that sense of presence and not just on a whim, like I'm going to do this thing and like it's going to blow up my whole life, but it's going to be fine. (laughs) Like, 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 And maybe it will be, and maybe that is the thing you need to do, but just using like things like that, tools like that, questions like that to, to ground you into that presence when you do follow your pleasure or your desire. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, um, where can my listeners find you online? And is there anything else you want to say about who you are and what you offer to people? Mm. Yeah. Um, so I'm most active on Instagram, um, on LeonaL Coaching. Like, I'm sure you can put it in the show notes or something like that. Yeah. Liane underscore L underscore coaching. Um, and like you said, I have a Facebook group called The Pleasure Paradigm. And yeah, that's really what I'm trying to, that's my message. Like um, I go by the pleasure paradigm or the pussy paradigm, depending on (laughs) how I'm feeling. Um, And really it's just this idea that a paradigm is just a perspective. It's just a way of seeing the world. And it's not like truth with capital T. Because I have a very, I don't like to attach that to anything. Yes. <laughs> so to me, it's like, okay, like the way that I've been conditioned is to see the world in one way through like one perspective or paradigm. And I'm choosing to see it in another way. And this paradigm is based on like things like intuition, desire, pleasure, community, expansion, um, so many good things um some people would possibly say like the feminine um I also don't really like to say that but if that like helps people to understand what I'm kind of going for um and but it's not just for women because women are in the patriarchy too so like (laughs) it's it's not just for women it's like for everyone really and three and I believe that it's like choose choose like the stories that serve you like ultimately like this is all made up 
<laughs> not to get too existential, but like, yeah, it's all made up. So like choose the perspective or the paradigm that is actually going to serve you to like be happy and enjoy your life. Your to short, serve sweet life. the whole community of yous. Exactly. The whole communities <laughs> of you of yous. And also like including, like included in that is also like your lineage or like your legacy. Yeah. Like Hells, what yes. do you want to leave like behind? Like for me, I don't have children and I don't think I plan to have. So for me, it's like legacy. Like what do I want to leave like on this planet, in this world? Like essentially yeah. how do I want to make the world a better place? Um, now that I believe that no one is coming to save me anymore. <laughs> we need to save ourselves. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So that's like what I'm all about. And if people like that translates to like sexuality, coaching on sexuality, coaching on empowerment, um, pleasure coaching, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'm going to be launching like a very small group program soon. Um, within the next two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Only five people, very small. So I'm excited about awesome. that. And if anyone wants to join that, they're welcome to. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Thank you so much. I have loved this chat and we definitely could chat for a lot longer. So, yeah. <laughs> Someone needs to cut us off. Yes. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. thanks again okay. so much. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to and subscribing to sexuality after a new episode comes out every second tuesday you can watch these podcasts as well on my youtube channel tea with phoebe d and if you have a story to share i'm always open and excited to have more amazing conversations so please contact me via my information in the episode notes If you want to find out more about me and my coaching, you can find me on the aforementioned YouTube channel or www.phoebed.com. If you want to know more about my interviewee or the things we talked about in this podcast, check out the episode notes on your podcast app. I hope you accept and love your humanity and sexuality a bit more after listening to this episode. See you in two weeks.